This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, Episode 42. Today, we continue our question and answer session from Episode 41, and I have with me again... Eric Crump. Welcome, Eric. Hello, Carl. Thanks for having me back again. <laughs> hey, you know, you have a special weather event happening right now, and uh, I hear not too many people are flying near you. What, what's it like out there, and, uh, and where are you? I am once again at in uh, beautiful Winter Haven at, uh, at my office that we shared for episode 41, and um, the view outside the window is not as pretty today. There's no airplanes on the ramp, and it is gray and disgusting outside <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, people always say that you can't uh to me at least they that you can't get any instrument flying in florida that's not totally true in central florida you sure can get uh, get some instrument time yeah those sea breezes tend to give us some really good instrument weather early in the morning and late in the afternoon <laughs> yeah sure do well folks if you're listening today again Welcome, and I appreciate your coming. This is the podcast where we give you an inside look into aviation careers, and we also answer your questions concerning your career steps and how to move forward. I know most of these questions uh, have to do with uh, flight training, because that's uh, usually what we focus on, but a good uh, 20% of our podcast is about other careers in aviation, so I really invite you to go out there and take a look at some of the other careers that we have online, like mechanics, that type of thing. Also, if if uh, you want to have some, if you want to take a look at the show notes uh, and make sure you do that because we have lots of show notes out there uh, and because we have tons of questions answered for, and and if you're looking for something or you have a question, just review some of the show notes uh, before you write in. You might find your answer. You never know. Uh, also, if you do have a question, doesn't matter if it's a repeat. It may be uh, something a little bit different than the last person asked. Go ahead and ask it, and and I promise we'll put it on here. We may reference you to another episode, but we, we will get back to you, of course. To find that, you just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com, the contact page. The uh, Also, here's something else I want to know. and I'm, I'm working with some, some different financing options and discussing financing and how to help you finance your pilot training, your aviation maintenance technician training, your engineering training. I was wondering if you would be interested, I'd like to get some feedback on this, if you'd be interested in hearing an interview from somebody who only does loans for just one or two ratings at a time. This is, for somebody who's career-oriented, usually they want to have the whole package and they don't want to start paying until later on in their careers because right now they're a little bit tight on money. So let me know if you'd be interested in hearing about somebody who offers loans. That's Those are loans that are only available for just one rating, and of course they usually start payment right afterwards. So just let me know. Go to the aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact page. Also, just quick mention, if you do appreciate this con, the uh, podcast, excuse me, I really would like you to go out there to aviationcareerspodcast.com and visit our sponsors on the right side of the of the screen there because they uh, they help me keep this content coming. Anyway, Eric, you ready for the questions here? Let's jump right in. I was born ready for questions. <laughs> I might not have answers, but I'm ready for the questions. <laughs> All right, let's get going. We have a bit of a long show, and Eric will remind me of my little announcement at the end of the show here because uh, we might be missing a few weeks uh, because of something that's happening in my life that's pretty important. So, uh, Eric, that's your job to remind me later because I'm getting older. I don't know, I that, I don't know that we agree on the importance of it, though. Oh, I, wow. I may not think it's as important <laughs> as you do. <laughs> 
<laughs> we had this conversation, Eric. <laughs> but yeah, some exciting things happening in my life, and and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Uh, but let's let's get going with uh, the first question here. It's from Daniel. Daniel writes, "Hi, Carl. I'm 16 years old and passionate about aviation. I got my first flight from the Civil Air Patrol and had a huge blast. I'm the first person to be part of." the AOPA Aviators Teen Council. I want to go to University of North Dakota and double major in commercial aviation and unmanned aircraft systems. There's an article about the first pilotless passenger test plane in the United Kingdom. I always wanted to be a pilot, but since unmanned aircraft have taken the skies, do you think that computers will take over pilots in my lifetime? Thanks. Sincerely, Daniel. Well, Daniel, actually, interestingly enough, this was something we we answered in episode forty-one, and uh, it, it's uh, I know it's a little bit different flavor, but yes, I think that in my lifetime that we're going to continue to have pilots in the aircraft. But I do feel, and and I think Eric does too, that it's very important that the you look at a career. Also, if someone's listening and doesn't want to fly, you, you look towards a career in unmanned aircraft systems because it's it's really really growing. And uh, I think that uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, Eric, anything to add to that? I'd just say since uh, episode 41, someone actually sent me an email and asked specifically about um, uh, degree pathways in unmanned aircraft and career opportunities in that field. And to be completely honest, in full disclosure, um, nobody really knows yet. Um, we know there's an industry that's growing there. It's kind of like private space flight. Everyone knows it's coming. We just don't know exactly when it's going to take off, no pun intended, um, or you know what exactly the career pro- prospects are right now. But the, the simple fact is unmanned aircraft are going to be in the national airspace system within the next five years. Um, within the next decade, they'll probably be in the same airspace that um, – that you're flying your Cessna 172 in. So, you know, it's just a, it's a reality. It is coming and we do have to be aware of that. Now, whether we're going to have pilotless, you know, commercial aircraft, I think that we're a, we're a long ways off from that, just from general public concern um, about not having a human being in the front of the airplane. Um, um, You know, that being said, there are other forms of transportation that are fully autonomous and that are moving in that direction. Um, So we'll see. I mean, there's definitely a possibility there, but it's, um, it's definitely not short term on that particular flavor. And, and to add to that, Eric, let's uh, for some of our listeners, let, let's not forget about the military. You know, I have firsthand experience there working f- with a lot of the military folks on leaves of absence. Their jobs, some of their jobs, are being replaced by unmanned aircraft systems. And I have a lot of friends that are involved in in the the actual surveillance and also some of these unmanned aircraft systems and unmanned or they call them UAVs in the military. Obviously, they can't talk about it much, but they just, you know, they tell me they're involved. It's, uh, it's replacing a lot of, uh, or some right now and will in the future, I think, replace a lot of our fighter pilots. And, uh, I think we're going that direction. So don't forget about the military. Uh, that would be a great avenue. Have them pay for your training in, in unmanned aircraft systems and then move on to a commercial type of a uh, situation. Exactly. And a lot of the current pilots, uh, or pilots operators, depending on how you want to, it that are flying uh, military missions are civilian contractors who work for Lockheed Martin or for Northrop Grumman, um, who are not actually enlisted 
um, in the military, but are civilian contractors holding those positions. So that's another interesting thing to think about. If you want to go the military direction, there are you know very lucrative civilian contracts out there to operate uh, some unmanned aircraft for very specific role purpose missions that don't actually require um, a commitment or long-term enlistment in the uh, in the military. Good point. Well, Daniel, thanks for that question. Again, go back to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 41 to listen to what we talked about in the last episode on unmanned aircraft systems. Okay, moving on to our next question. It's uh, It comes in and says, Hi, Carl. I hope this finds you well. I've been listening to your podcast for about the last three or four months. Recently, I've been commuting from North Carolina to Florida for my training, spending two to three weeks away from my wife and kids every month. Wow, sounds like an airline pilot. <laughs> when I drive, I make sure to have plenty of podcasts loaded on my iPhone. Just finished your last two. Congratulations on your new job and new typewriting. Well, thanks so much. You know, I love podcasting because you know what's really cool is that people listen to the the, the old episodes. And and this could this happened months ago on my new job and my new airplane. And uh, I just I love people writing and saying congratulations. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a, definitely a time shifted type of conversation. But uh, thanks again for that comment. He continues, I've always wanted to be a pilot, but only realized fairly recently that I can truly make it my career. I got my private pilot's license in 2009 and immediately got my instrument rating, but then stopped there. I was recently, uh, or excuse me, I recently sold my business, which opened the door for me to do something new because I was able to get a large sum of money to complete training in a new field. The funds will be more than to, to cover the training to become an airline pilot. I purchased a Piper Arrow in which to complete my commercial license, and I'm finishing my CFI this week. I also obtained my multi-engine license and did a time-building program, so I have 150 hours multi-engine time. I completed all these with 250 total flight hours in the last two months. I'm currently sitting around the 500-hour mark, and I'm trying to figure out where I should go from here. I have attached a brochure about a program I found that would get me Part 135 experience, but at a cost. The money really isn't a problem, but I know anything. But I do not know anything about this program like this. Uh, just a quick comment: we don't normally uh, comment directly about specific programs, but we will uh, talk, in, talk in generalities about uh, programs uh, and uh, just so that they help you to get towards your career goals. So we'll definitely we'll talk about those type of programs in general. He continues. My main goal is to finish my training and log 1,500 hours as quickly as I can. Getting the experience requirements to getting the job is by far more important to me and a few thousand dollars in my bank account. It does seem funny to me to have to pay for your first job, but with so few jobs available for low-time pilots, I'm not sure what other options I have. I might have. With most uh, instructor jobs that I have found, they're only getting 50 or less hours per month instructing. Two years is too long to wait to get 1,500 hours. Plus, as you know, it is very difficult to get turbine IMC cross-country time, uh, IMC being instrument meteorological conditions, uh, while you're a CFI. My goal is to fly with a particular airline and live in my hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. You can probably guess the airline from that. If I were to have 500 hours of turbine part 135, will that get me a better chance of getting a job with the airline I choose? as compared to only a single-engine time I have uh, been with just being a CFI. Sorry for the long email. One more comment, though. I did decide to buy my own airplane to uh, reduce the training cost, but mainly because I was tired of airplanes not being available when I want to fly at the club or school. 
I knew it was a risk, but it looks like it worked out well. After the price of purchasing it and all the money that I put in for maintenance and inspection, I had spent about 45000 on the airplane. The flight school I'm working with in Florida has offered me to... Uh, buy for to buy from me for fifty five thousand when I finish my CFI. That's pretty cool. That means that the money that I made on the airplane more than covered the gas in my instructions. So in essence, I was able to get a free airplane for the last couple hundred hours. I'm sure there are more stories where people lose money, but with a lot of research and luck, it seems that I'll end up on the end, the good end of this one. So he also he gives us a link to that program he was, and that's the end of his question. He does give us a link to the program that he's talking about about time building. And what we're going to do, we're not going to specifically specifically talk about that program uh, but uh, we do have some some comments and I think that that uh, Eric and I uh, see eye to eye on most of this but but there's there's a couple things that we we made different opinions so Eric I'll let you go first in, in answering this and unfortunately we're not sitting together so if we do really different opinions strongly we can't, we can't actually fight it out no so no we can't that's unfortunate <laughs> but we'll, we'll have to do that offline yeah we will um, but uh, anyway so um I'm very familiar with these jobs where you where you're either buying training or you're buying you're basically paying to work for a company um, who need a right seat pilot um, for a 135 operation, um, and because the time is so valuable to you, um, that's supposed to be enough benefit for you to pay thousands of dollars to ride right seat um, and relocate to wherever they tell you to relocate to, um, and not make one cent. While you're, <laughs> while you're working for this company. Um, and so basically what they're saying is the, the, the value of the time they're allowing you to absorb is more valuable than living expenses. I have a fundamental problem with programs like that. Um, I consider them to be basically exploitation because they, they do seem to take advantage of low-time pilots who are looking for any way they could possibly build the flight experience. Um, and there are people who are in the situation where, um, you know, I'm, uh, my family just has a lot of money or I have a lot of money individually. And the, the value of the money, like what the company tries to, to justify is, um, is not as much as the time I'm going to get. It. And, um, you know, I, while for me, it's a philosophical thing. Um, I don't, if, if I, you know, interact with people who have gone through a program like that, I don't judge them harshly or, uh, or throw things at them. Um, it's not something I would do personally because I, I believe that the skills I have are worth something. And yes, I'm gaining experience from flying with you, but I'm also performing a, you know, a critical mission function. So, um, not only am I not going to pay you for letting me work for you, but I'm also going to expect you to pay me. And I will expect you to pay me a fair wage based on the amount of experience and what I actually contribute to your company. But again, that's a, that's basically for me, it's a philosophical thing. Um, and I think as an industry, especially people going the airline route, um, we tend to sell out early in our career so that we can um, get to the next step faster. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that in principle, but at some point you have to know when to stop that. At, at what point am I now worth getting paid? Um, and so for me, philosophically, from the onset, I've paid a lot of money to earn the ratings that I've earned. And I have a set of skills, and when I use those in a professional way, I expect to be paid for using those skills. Um, so, again, I won't judge you harshly. I just consider what you're um, what you're going into, and if it really is more valuable to you to build the time as quickly as humanly possible than it is to not only keep you know multiple thousands of dollars and not make money, 
um, then then that's something that that's unique to you. But for the general public who are looking at opportunities like this, you know, just be aware of what you're going into and what you're setting yourself up for. Make sure, like everything in aviation, that you go in with uh, correct expectations. And, and you know, I, I'd have to agree with Eric on a couple of those points. I I personally have never worked for free, um, and I'm I'm a big believer in that. You know, my time is extremely valuable. And I never have gotten into this, uh, you know, pay for your job type of thing. But I will say this. There are certain airlines out there that will make you pay for certain parts of your training. Um, the pay for training thing was an old concept where you'd go work for an airline. Uh, commuter airlines used to do this all the time. And you'd have to give them fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 just to go work for them. And, of course, they were only paying you fifteen dollars to $20,000. So it was a bit of a wash for them. So that that was very similar to to this case here, similar, not the same, but similar. The now with what Eric said, uh, I'm going to look at the other side, the counterpoint to this. I do know some airline pilots that do buy their children these jobs, and it's uh, it's one way to move forward quickly, especially if you're making a lot of money and you got a ton of money to burn. Then yeah, the the other option would be, of course, to buy yourself uh, some time in a jet or. Uh, if you have that, that kind of cash or, you know, I know people that buy their own airplanes and fly them around. Most of my multi-engine time, honestly, was from my own business I had years ago where I flew around and gained that time. Uh, but that was actually in furtherance of a business and for some funds. So there was some value involved there. Um, the, <laughs> this is something that's really, really interesting. I, I feel that, you know, we, we degrade, our value when we start flying for free because you have to you have to say to yourself where does this stop and the airlines know that you are willing to fly for free to make it to the next step the next point in your career and this is what's strange everybody thinks the salaries are going to go up right now but this is kind of counterintuitive the salaries i think are going to go down somewhat for the regionals because you know what they're going to say hey listen you can come here you're only going to be here for a year possibly less because the majors are hiring so much come on along come in here we're going to pay you hardly anything then uh you know you're going to be gone you know that that's and it's just a stepping stone whereas there are people that want to be career pilots at the regionals cuz those are great jobs and especially after you know 10 years where you're making that six figure income or close to it you may not want to jump down and, and, and lose that money when you change jobs there. So, yeah, there's there's a <laughs> – it's an interesting conversation. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, that we've not gotten away from in this industry much is the fact that we are, are used to not paying our flight instructors properly, and we do it to ourselves. A good example, when I was on furlough after 9-11 – I was uh, an airline pilot asked me if I could go up in his airplane and do a flight review because he needed a flight review. I said, sure. So we went up. I did the flight review. We get back. And he was mad that I was going to charge him actual money to do the flight review. I was like, wow. I, I said, you know, this is my job. I get paid to do this. I'm a flight instructor. And, and he said, well, I thought you just needed to build flight time so you shouldn't have, I shouldn't have to pay you. I said, gosh, you know, where where does that go from there? You know, it's, uh, you know, should we not pay people that fly 30-seat planes? Should we not pay people to fly 50-seat, 100-seat? You know, just because they're building hours to get to the next next thing on their goal, you know, that. And so I, I really, it, it spoke volumes towards 
how airline p- pilots feel towards flight instructors, and I'm I personally feel that flight instructors is uh, is a very very important position. Uh, so here's here's the next. You know, I don't I would never say no. Don't pay for it. Uh, if you have that kind of money, then yeah, go right ahead. Uh, there's a couple things I want to mention, and I, I'll, I'll uh, and Eric, did you want to chime in there on any of that before I move into some of these other things I was going to talk about? We are in violent agreement with each other. Okay, good. Um, well, I, I think the one thing though, I don't, I would never ever say to somebody what you're doing is wrong. I will, I will say I disagreed with one person. Just uh, I, I asked him how he got a job flying for a job that I applied to. I was just curious, you know. I said, you know. Um, I had all these hours and all, and he said, well, I agreed to, to work for $1 a month. I was like, oh, wow, you're basically flying for free. And he's like, yeah, so in, in just trying to build his time, that type of thing. Um, I had a lot of, oh, I had a blast flight instructing. Don't discount the number of hours. As a matter of fact, there's something you mentioned about people only getting 40 to 60 hours per month. Gosh, I I don't know, but I flew over a hundred hours in a month as an instructor. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, yeah, but, I had the same experience. I mean, okay, it's, it's all about the market that you fly in. Okay, um, and that was one of the things um, that I'd commented to another listener who wrote me an email asking about um, how much time can you realistically hope to build in a certain period of time. Um, you know, flying out of Atlanta. I mean, I I had twenty three active students. My schedule was booked seven days a week, um, and I mean, you, I mean, you can build a ton of, of time that way. It's about the market that you're in, and it's about what you bring to the table. Um, you know, if you're one of 20 instructors at a at a school where there are no students, well, no, you're not going to build any time. Um, but you know, I kind of set myself apart early on, as um, you know, I, I put myself uh, through the process of really learning the Garmin G1000 system when it first hit the market, and kind of became a niche instructor in the Atlanta area for that technology. And people would come from around Atlanta to fly with me uh, because of you know word of mouth and things like that because because I had something unique to offer um, in that particular uh, equipment. So more than just being an instructor, if you can figure out a way, kind of like a doctor, to specialize in a particular type of instruction, um, that even makes you more valuable. People come from all over the country, depending on what kind of instruction it is that you offer. And, and that's a good point. Now, now, Eric, how many hours did you get in a year? Do you know when you were instructing? Um. I probably did the first year. Uh, it was probably just over a thousand hours. Um, then the first year, and probably um, bordering on twelve hundred the second. I mean, it, again, it's about, and that's not all flight instruction. A lot of that was one thirty-five, and you know, part ninety-one private flying, corporate stuff too. Um, so it's not all flight instruction. The the point is. Um, if you start flight instructing, especially in a high-density market, you start to meet people who have businesses or know people, and aviation is such a word-of-mouth industry. And when it gets around that this guy is a good pilot and he's fun to talk to and he's a good instructor, then this guy who owns the construction company comes to fly with you because he's always wanting to be a pilot. Well, I've got to go to this job in, in the Carolinas. Can you fly me there? Um, and then it just turned – and that's how it is. You just sort of – you just start networking and building that client base who then, well, you know, I own – I own this, uh, you know, this uh, whatever. It's Beach Baron. Um, can you can you fly me around for my business purposes? Well, sure, I can. Um, so we're doing flight instruction on the weekends, and then during the week, I'm flying you all over to your business meetings. So that's kind of the way that works. You're not looking at, in most places, just just being a flight instructor. Um, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, that's all you want to do. You can make a living at that certainly. Um, but there are 
flight instruction opens the doors to a lot of those other entry-level aviation jobs that would, in my opinion, prevent you from having to go through the process of paying for uh, your flight experience. I'm, gr- I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, even say you don't want to do those corporate jobs and, or whatever, that type of personal flying, and you want to stay as a flight instructor like I did, uh, I turned down a lot of different flying jobs because I loved, loved flight instructing. But I would every so often go with people and go on those trips with them, and, and I enjoyed that, but I love teaching. And a lot of these folks that own airplanes, uh, they also um, have a business, and they'll ask you, hey, do you want to fly my jet instead of flying this 172 that I own? Um, you know, maybe there's, there's, uh, if you want to, that's perfect. You can jump into that job and you can do that just through networking, which just like, uh, Eric said, as a matter of fact, to add to the, the flight hours thing, to build flight time, what I used to do, cause I was extremely busy instructing, I would double book my students. I'd have one, not double book, I should say, I had a, a standby list. So I would book a student. And behind every student was a standby. So when someone canceled, the standby uh, was automatically put into my schedule. And I would have standbys all day long. And if a student couldn't make it in, I'd say, okay, that's fine. I got another student and call them in and say, hey, come on in and do the lesson. Uh, So that's another way to build some hours because people do cancel on lessons. uh, And they do it fairly often because things come up in life and this is a hobby for most of them. Uh, so you just have to, you know, make sure you have an agreement with your students that, hey, listen, stand by. I'll call you the day before. Of course, if they cancel at the last minute, a lot of times you can have an agreement with your student. Well, they pay you anyway. It depends on how close to the cancellation that they, they would actually uh, cancel and then you would get paid. So there's another opportunity to make money. I mean, I, I have had a student that he would cancel on me all the time, but he was he was very successful. And he said, listen, I don't care. Just pay. You know, I'm going to pay you for the hours no matter what, whether I'm there or I'm not. And it was kind of a nice way to make some additional income, um, and basically on, on call. Now, one more thing about this topic as far as your time with the 135 uh, operators. Uh, there are some new rules in place, and the new ATP rules uh, as far as becoming a captain at the at the regional airlines. Now, this is, this is important because we're going to see a hiring boom coming on here. It's just starting. Uh, that you may get on with a regional and six months later see that you're captain. When I got hired with the regionals, it was eight months to captain. And when you are at those eight months, you may not have all the qualifications for the ATP for being a captain at an airline. I'll tell you why. You have to have at least a thousand. And this is how the rules are right now. And the caveat is that these rules are constantly changing. So you have to make sure you keep up with them. At least a thousand hours of of, uh, flight time as an air carrier operations as a co-pilot in Part 121 operations is a requirement to become a, a captain. Also, if you're a captain in a fractional uh, operation, that's fine, too. That'll count towards it. Also, as a captain in a 135, like you were talking about, if, as long as you were captain there, then that 1,000 hours count. Uh, and these are with commuters of 10 or more seats. Now, there's also these combos, you know, that you have, and you have to look at your hours and make sure that they all combined uh, to make up those hours for that airline. So if you were a captain at 500 hours at a 135, you had 500 hours as part 121 as a co-pilot, that would count to your 1,000 hours. So make sure you keep looking at those rules and make sure you're you're not only going to get second in command time part 135 and, and you know, just, just make sure that. And, and another addition to this, you know, there's lots of carve outs. There's lots of, of waivers on these rules. You know, I fly, uh, for an Airbus for a major airline and I don't have my PIC 
ATP in that airplane. Now you're sitting there saying, well, how could that be? Because these rules are going to go into place. Well, we have, all the airlines have until 2016 to comply with that rule, to get that SIC off their rating and become a pilot in command. Because uh, I have second in command privileges only on one of the, on the Airbus, you know, so that, that I have to wait for that to next time I go for recurrent training. So those are some things just to think about, you know, so there's a little bit of nuance there. Anything to add, Eric, before we move on to the next one? No, I think we covered that one pretty good. Yeah, I, I hope that information was useful to you. You're in a you're in a very unique position because you're right there on the on the edge of the wave, and you, with the next step you make is very important because it's going to be your first opportunity to actually work in aviation and the path you choose. It's not like you can't change paths along the way, but that the first direction you start moving in, you're gonna you're gonna invest significant effort, time, and money. Um, in whichever direction you go. So I appreciate the question. Shows that you uh, you know actually care about what you're doing, and and I love seeing that. So thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, so again, thanks for that. The next question comes from Grant. It says, "Hi Carl, I'm working uh, a corporate inf- in a corporate information technology job full time. I'm working towards my CFI uh, flight instructor certificate with the intentions of instructing in the mornings before work and on the weekends." I'd really love to hear a podcast episode that focuses on bush flying and ag flying as an alternate career choice for those outside-the-box type of pilots. I love the podcast and listen often during my otherwise soul-draining hours <laughs> during my regular job. Thanks for your efforts, Grant. Hey, Grant, hang in there, man. I, I tell you, I, I understand. I, I, I feel you. I did the same thing. I was in an IT and sat in an office all day and sometimes didn't see the sun for a week. So just, you know, you know what I did? I would put pictures of airplanes in my cube and pictures of trees too. I love trees, so I had pictures of trees and airplanes, and and it made my my day a lot happier. I don't know if that'll work for you, but uh, it does for me. Um, but it, <clears throat> as far as as the alternative careers, I actually have a, a backup a backlog of people that I'm supposed to interview. Uh, one of them is a crop duster pilot. One's a banner tow pilot. The other one is a seaplane pilot that has a uh, uh, what do you call it? A, a 135 seaplane operation down in the Florida Keys. So those are the people that I'm I'm having on interviews coming up in episodes. So stay tuned there. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I have another podcast that I'm part of. Of course, the StuckMikeAvcast.com, and we talk about living to fly, loving to fly, and learning to fly. This is, it, we do a little bit about uh, careers, but mainly it's it's just about instruction and and the and the experience of flying. Well. We've interviewed a couple of folks from Flying Wild in Alaska, and we had a pretty good interview with Ponce, uh, who's on the show, and that's in episode 39 and 40 of Stuck Mike Avcast. You can go to stuckmikeavcast.com slash 39 and stuckmikeavcast.com slash 40, and uh, I will have that in the show notes. So come out of the show notes and click on it. Really cool stuff. He talks about his career and how he moved on, but uh, and also, by the way, uh, uh, Len Costa, who is the host of that show, he has a friend that actually decided and gave up on all the airline stuff and went over to to uh, Alaska and uh, is now a uh, a pilot up there. And uh, as a matter of fact, now that I'm talking about, it, I should probably have him also on the show. He's he's a bush pilot now full time, and he's absolutely loving it. And he's not looking to move on to bigger airplanes. So I, I will ask him if he'll come on the show. Cool stuff. Hey Eric, do you have anybody that's doing any kind of flying? You know, I have a couple of friends and acquaintances from um, you know the the lovely little community of aviation in which we live. Um, you can't really go anywhere in aviation after you've been in it for long enough where you don't meet somebody that you know through somebody else. But um, I have a, f- a few friends and acquaintances who are who are flying in Alaska doing the bush pilot thing. And when I talk to them about uh, you know what that's like, because that's a completely different kind of flying. 
um, as much as going out and getting a 152 is different from getting in an A320. <laughs> flying flying anywhere and flying in Alaska are so completely different. Um, it, because in Alaska, you know, we can go out here on the weekend and go fly around and go get a burger. In Alaska, there are places where people would die if it weren't for aviation. It, I mean, it's it's literally the lifeblood of, of the state. Um, so, I mean, it, it has a, a very important role in, you know, human survival. So it takes on a slightly different uh, series. Of course, the conditions they operate in are, are you know, insane also. Uh, but they tell me that, um, you know, much like here, when you, you know, the first time you go into really dense controlled airspace or the first time you go into D.C. or New York or whatever, and you're you're behind the airplane that's what it's like, you know, your first couple of months up there. And then he said, it's, it's funny because you get used to it to the point where when you, when you're flying back in the continental U S again, you're bored <laughs> because it's, it's so easy. Um, and, uh, but that's, I, I hear you know, great stories, um, about things that happen and really not just great, you know, wow, I can't believe that that, that happened. And it was crazy. We're flying through a mountain pass and we can't see anything, but, um, you know the stories of of, of uh, you know great human interest type stories where you know this person was you know bleeding to death out in the out in the woods and uh, you know we fly in um, in a ski plane pick them up and get them to the hospital and they were you know they're able to survive their wounds so I mean big big things not just um, not just that kind of recreational flying which we really enjoy um, but flying that really does uh, impact human life so some really interesting things happening up there. Yeah, there are, and I, I would love. That's one of the states I haven't landed in is Alaska, and I, I so want to get up there. You know, Eric, as you were talking, I just thought about something. There's a uh, there ERA Airlines, Era Airlines. They did this show, Flying Wild Alaska, which a lot of people know about. And their jump seat committee chairman, uh, chairwoman, I should say, is actually on, was on that show. Her name's Sarah Freyer, and I have an interview with her uh, from years ago at the Women Fly It Forward event. And she has some really interesting advice and, and talks a little bit about flying up in Alaska. I'll try to find that and get a link on the website for you to listen to her. Uh, very, very inspirational. So anyway, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have more about those alternative quote-unquote jobs. I have friends that are banner towers, and uh, I've got a couple friends that own businesses doing banner tow. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, you can actually make a pretty decent living. Uh, the the one guy he's he goes fishing in the uh, in the winter down in in the Florida Everglades and tows banners up and down the beach and he loves it absolutely loves it. So uh, so don't just think about the airlines think about everything. Well thanks for that question. Uh, next question comes from Jared. He says hi Carl. I'd like to really thank you for making this podcast. About the time you started the podcast, I was considering finally heading to flight school after years of putting it off. A combination of family support and your podcast provided me with the motivation to do it. I'm now in school and I'm about to finish my uh, commercial pilot theory uh, exam. I don't get to listen much these days because I'm busy in the books. Uh, th thanks, Carl. Well, you know what? I, I appreciate you writing in, and, and I'm glad you're busy and you don't have much time to, to listen to these podcasts. Uh, you know what I do? I plug them in my ears every time I drive back and forth to the airport. I, I love listening to aviation podcasts. I don't listen to my own, but uh, I listen to a lot of other folks like the Airplane Geeks, etc. And uh, they just really, really inspire me about the world of aviation. Uh, so, so if you get a, a short, just a short little jolt of, of uh, you know, when you're feeling down and you're thinking, gosh, I don't know if I can do that, just plug in, plug in this podcast or, or one of the other aviation podcasts and just, just to boost your, your day. Because I know there's times when you say to yourself, gosh, did, should I really do this? Is this really worth the effort? 
And I'm sure when you listen to those, you'll find out it, it really is. And, uh, you know, Eric, I think you had a suggestion. I think we, we probably should talk to uh, Jared once he finishes all this, see what his experience was like. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I love this podcast because it talks about um, aviation careers that aren't just about pilots. Because, you know, people look at aviation and go, oh, it would be great to be a pilot, not realizing that pilots are the minority in aviation. Um, the support positions that make airplanes work and fly around in the national airspace system are way farther populated than the pilot corps. Um, but for that, I, I love this podcast because I agree it is very inspirational. Um, not just because I'm on it. That's not that's not a biased <laughs> thing. Um, I mean, you don't listen to me. Listen to all these other people. It's it's not just Carl telling you that this is a great career. It's not just me. It's all these people that Carl interviews that say, you know, I, I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> this is I am happiest when I'm in aviation. But um, I think it'd be a really good idea um, to uh, to get Jared on the podcast so that so that you guys out there could hear about uh, the career pathway from somebody who's recently gone through it. Uh, because when Carl and I went through training, it was completely different than it is today. Um, because our aviation system changes literally minute by minute, the training infrastructure, the training system, the training process changes very rapidly. And I think it'd be good to have Jared on and talk about his experience going through the certification process so that you guys could hear it from a fellow partaker's perspective because Carl and I and a lot of the other guests on the podcast kind of sit on the other side now looking back saying, I'm telling you it was worth it back then when I did it because of what I'm doing now. It'd be a great idea to hear from somebody who's just gone through it and to get their experience. So Jared or anybody else, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have a couple of follow-up interviews that we're going to have in another few months, but I want more folks coming out here and tell me what their experience was like so so that you listening can learn from that experience and maybe put that into your life. So again, Jared, thanks for that question. Um, the next question I have is from Dave. Okay, Dave says, I just came across your podcast and I'm very grateful for your positive enthusiasm towards encouraging others to pursue their desire to make flying a career. I thank you very much for that. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, let me give you a brief background on myself. I, too, am a career changer coming from a background of working as a middle school math teacher. I am 37 years old and from a young age have also had the dream of becoming a pilot and flying for an airline. Unfortunately, I was told by my family that I'd never be able to pursue this dream because, after all, only military pilots were hired by airlines. and It was not very likely that I'd be selected to fly as a pilot if I enlisted. That said, I should I, I basically forgot about all that. Apparently, this had a lasting impression on me because I settled on becoming a math teacher instead. Well, it was not until a few years ago, with all the talk about the Colgan crash, pilot training, and the 1500-hour rule, that it dawned on me that I could actually realize that boyhood dream of becoming an airline pilot. Let me tell you, the revelation was invigorating. I began researching the job outlook, training requirements, discussing the constraints of such an endeavor with my wife, and then together decided I should get my feet wet by taking a discovery flight at my local airport. I was instantly hooked and seriously questioned why I hadn't done it sooner. Fast forward a year later, and here I am, a private pilot with 100 hours total time and yearning for more. Now more than ever, I am seriously looking to begin a career change to the regionals, despite having heard extensively all about the difficult work hours, low first-year pay, cons of seniority-based systems, and the high cost of training in both time and money. In fact, a year ago, I applied for and was hired to work weekends for what would be my first choice as a regional carrier to eventually fly for. I'm working as a ramp agent 
pushing back and marshalling aircraft. I took this job to get a sense of airline operations, the ramp environment, interact with pilots and aircraft, as well as getting an opportunity to take advantage of non-revenue travel to several continents with my wife. Now, having been exposed to the regionals, I feel now more than ever that a flying job is really within reach. Over the past couple of years teaching, I've saved up enough money to pay for the required flight training to earn all the other ratings instrument through flight instructor certificates. I'm married to a wonderful woman, also a teacher, who is up to speed on the negative aspects of this career, but is still very encouraging and supportive of me. My question for you is twofold. First, am I crazy for wanting to go for it in my 30s? Uh, will the regionals hire uh, hire me or frown on hire me because I'm so old? Uh, secondly, being that time feels like it's working against me, is it a good idea to complete my training at a school that will guarantee an instructing job upon successful completion of training, including 1,500 hours? Give me RJ Sim training and possibly receive a conditional offer of employment via their bridge program with the regional airlines. I've already studied on my own via test prep books and software with 95% or better on the written exams for the instrument, commercial, fundamentals instructor, uh, uh, CFI, uh, uh, instrument instructor, airplane instructor, as well as oral exams and for the multi, etc. Wow, that's a lot of studying. I'd appreciate your thoughts on the flight school and any advice you can offer. Thank you again for such a great podcast and making a difference. All the best, Dave. Dave, first of all, congratulations, and you are a lucky man to have someone who you like your wife that's that's behind you because to me that is the one of the most important things is to have the support of your family and your friends and the fact that you've you've defined your goals and shared them with her and shared them with your family I think is terrific and that's what I think most people should do and do you I think you're you're following your dream is crazy well yeah it's fun to be crazy but no I don't think you're crazy in general I don't I don't think Eric would agree with that either no, not at all. I think following a dream is, is never really crazy as long as you understand the process to attain it. If, if you're just sitting around dreaming, wishing, and, oh, that would be great, um, then, well, yeah, that's kind of crazy because you're never going to realize it. It's always going to be a dream. But uh, someone like you who's researched it to the level you have committed so much time um, and effort, as it's obvious you have from your AML, um, into preparing yourself for a career in aviation, even taking on a, a part-time job just to learn the ropes, I mean, I think that's outstanding. If everybody did that, we have a much more educated airline um, employee population um, just because because you have so much exposure to general operations. I think that's what you're doing is outstanding, and I don't think you're crazy at all. I think you understand the process better than most people who are going into it. Um, and I also don't think that your age is a factor, um, You know, at least not with anyone I talk to um, in, uh, in the airline hiring market. Like uh, Carl's pointed out, and many industry people are saying we're right on the crest of a hiring boom anyway. And I really don't think it's going to matter. <laughs> I, I don't think that's an issue that you're really going to have to deal with. Um, you know, you you have until you know mandatory retirement age of 65 um, to fly uh, commercially in the 121 environment. But even after that, you know, I've just this week I've talked with people who are currently flying in corporate jobs or you know even in airline jobs who are thinking, well, you know, maybe I don't want to do this until I'm 65. Maybe I want to find something else to do. Um, and, and those opportunities are available. It's not like you're 65 and they put you out to pasture. There's still plenty of opportunities in aviation um, because you have a wealth of experience and you should share that in whatever way you can. Um, and, uh, you know, whether you should hurry and go through a, a, you know, a quick training program or not, 
you know, my opinions are mixed on what I call quickie aviation programs. Um, I would just caution you, you. You seem to have your head in the books already, and that's good. Um, when you go through a an airline preparation program, that's really what you're going through. They're, they're not really teaching you holistic, what I call holistic piloting skills. They're teaching you to be a right seat regional jet pilot. And that's 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 fine in, in one extent because that's what you're you know going to be doing right off the bat. But just be aware that you're being taught to do a very specific thing, and the amount of theory or holistic flight instruction that's going on there is very minimal. So it's going to be up to you to hit the books and study the additional theory you need to build yourself out as what I consider to be a professional pilot, not just somebody who can push buttons in the right seat of a regional jet, but specifically to understand the system and your role in it um, and how to maintain a safe national airspace system. So that's that, that's that's my only encouragement. If you decide to go that route, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with it. Just make sure that you're doing the additional study that you're going to need to do to make yourself a good, well-rounded pilot. And and Eric, to add to that, I th- I think no matter where you go, uh, if you truly have the integrity and and study on your own, you can you can learn and you can actually get as much out of whatever program it is. Uh, so if you do decide to go to one of those, you know, kind of quickie ratings programs, and but make sure that you really know the information well. I did do one rating that way, and I didn't get very much out of it, but I did go back and study on my own. Uh, I kind of wish I didn't do it uh, looking back because it was a lot of money, and I didn't feel like I learned that much. Uh, so that's my personal perspective on that one, and that's my experience there. Getting back to the age thing, though. Uh, I got hired recently with a, with a major, and the the let's say the oldest person in my class that was a pilot, meaning they're going to go fly the line, it was fifty years old. The oldest person in my class that was going to fly was sixty seven, I think he was sixty seven. Now the question is, how could that be true? Now, I'll tell you why. There's a lot of other jobs besides flying airplanes at the airlines, and uh, three guys in my class were going to be flight instructors. They were going to be simulator, excuse me, instructors because they absolutely love aviation. Here, here's people who just wish they never had to retire at 65, and now they want to impart knowledge to those people coming into the airline, and I think that's awesome. So there are a whole bunch of other things that you can go into. As a matter of fact, in my class, another thing that, that people don't realize, when you're in class at the airlines, a lot of times some of those classes, especially when you're going over your operations specifications, you're in class with people from other departments. For instance, you could be in class with a dispatcher. You could be in class with a maintenance person. You can be in class with some kind of operational person because they have to take the similar courses in those operations. So it's really cool to mix with these people. And what happens is you, you really get a feel for their job and you find out that, you know, there, there, there's this, this, this overlap in their job and our job and it makes you really appreciate what they do. It also, I, I, for me, made me realize, gosh, I wish people knew more about this. What is it like to be a dispatcher? You know, I talked about that in, in a past episode. You know, those kind of things. What's it like to be a flight attendant? You know, and, and, and furthermore, when we talk about pilots, by the way, uh, all we are, we think about when we're at the airlines, airline pilots. So I'll tell you what, there's a lot of folks that I know at my airline, guys in tech ops that I talk to a lot especially, that have their own pilot certificates. We actually have somebody who's helping uh, in a high school build an airplane. And he's a pilot and he's he's a a, a mechanic. And that is so cool. So we have more pilots at the airlines than are actually flying the airplanes at the airline. 
So just remember that. So that, and they're terrific people, and I really applaud them for for actually going out there and 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 actually getting their ratings. You know, one other thing that he mentioned that I think that's really cool that he has that that ability to talk to all those pilots and those regional pilots and see, hey, is it too late for me? That type of thing. Uh, but the other cool thing about working for an airline, by the way, I worked as a reservation agent in an airline. And while I was a reservation agent, this was when I was furloughed, I actually had the ability to non-rev travel. And it's called non-revenue travel. You travel the world for free, basically. Uh, there is some, some, you know, when you go internationally, you might have to pay a little bit. Um, so that is a really cool thing about working for an airline. So if you're not looking at a flying job, there's, there's a really neat benefit of being able to travel for free. Of course, the jump seat, which we talk a lot about in the show because, there's, you know, it's primarily for pilots, uh, you know, 80% of this is pilots, the, f- we get to actually jump seat and with certain limitations on any airline. It's really cool. I can go anywhere in the world. It's awesome. Really, really a lot of fun. Eric, did you ever get a chance to jump seat, by the way? Have you? Um, not not officially, no. Yeah. <laughs> not, not in the airplane. Done a lot of jump seating in simulators, uh-huh. um, but uh, no, that was that was never never my path. The uh, the corporate that I did, um, uh, we didn't have uh, rideshare privileges, so um, that I. But the the benefit of uh, of the place I worked, we didn't have rideshare uh, privileges with airlines, but we did actually have. Uh, it was kind of an. I, I don't know exactly what they called it. I don't know that there was an official name, but it was basically like an employee airplane use program. So the aircraft that were on our certificate, um, if they needed to be uh, repositioned or um, there was some you know, new engine had to be broken in, um, you know, the the employees were actually able to to basically rent the airplane at uh, the cost of fuel, um, and we could fly me where we wanted to. Um, so that was kind of neat. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, that was a really great perk, you know, load up a bunch of your buddies and, and go over to the beach uh, for the weekend. Um, you know, it, it, it was it's one of those weird things, and that's not something that happens everywhere. Um, but, uh, no, I never did get to jump seat. It, it, uh, I imagine it would be a, a lot of fun. Yeah, and they um, – it, it, another thing, too, by the way, is that certain uh, airlines have what's called observation rides. Of course, you know the FAA does observations, but uh, they also have other industry – uh, either experts or people that are doing uh, some type of uh, uh, surveys, et cetera, that'll r- jump in the cockpit. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, these people have to be there for a purpose. But hey, Eric, we should try to get you in the in the jump seat sometime. You know, I'm going to see if I can negotiate that at a at a very soon upcoming meeting that I have. <laughs> yes, yes, and I, I, I hopefully you'll be able to do that. That would be that would be awesome. That would be really really cool. Um, but actually, you know, it'd be really neat is to, to get some, some, there's some great photos on YouTube about, uh, sitting in the jump seat, people brought on along their cameras. It's, it's pretty neat stuff. So if you get a chance, take, take a peek at that. Um, but anyway, thanks for that question. Really good stuff. As far as the regionals, uh, you can make a career out of the regionals, by the way, uh, as long as you're willing to work hard, you'll, you'll make some money. But right now, you know, Hey, if you're 50 years old, you can still make it to the airlines and, and make a decent career out of it. Uh, will you make it to the top? No, no, but that's, uh, but you know what? You're going to have a good time either way. Next question we have comes from Tom. Uh, Tom says, Hi, Carl. I'm your typical 32-year-old male looking at chasing a lifelong passion in aviation and currently training towards my private pilot license, which has been very exciting. The focus of my email is I'm looking for your recommendation on some great audio that can be used as study materials while driving to and from work to help keep the learning consistent everywhere and not just at home with my books. I recently came across your podcast and can't say enough about about it. Great job. 
But as much as I enjoy hearing about what comes later on this journey, I'd like to find something that will help me focus on the meat and potatoes, so to speak, considering I'm still in the uh, very early stages. I just completed ground school, but uh, because I'm writing from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, not sunny Florida, I'm waiting until spring for nicer, longer days to start logging some uh, serious hours along with uh, managing finances more responsibly. I really enjoy uh, loading your podcast as you portray an extremely positive message that encourages guys like me to keep focused and stay positive about this exciting journey I'm starting out on. I've already noticed that there's a lot of negativity in this industry. It's important to surround myself with the positive. Again, great job. Keep up the good work, Carl. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon, Tom. Before I answer this question, there is one thing you mentioned about the negativity, and I keep getting this. Um, there, there are forums out on the Internet. I normally don't go to those forums. But boy, oh boy, uh, the problem with public forums is because people can sometimes hide behind their names and even the ones that don't hide behind a, a, a pseudonym, there are some interesting and sometimes nasty comments made towards people pursuing a career, uh, pursuing this job, and there's a ton of negativity out there. Tell you what, when you get to the airlines, the airlines also have those forums, and those forums are for their pilots, for their flight attendants, etc. I tend to not go on those forums because I have a very positive outlook on life, and those would basically, they would poison my look, outlook on life and, and make me feel really bad about my job, etc. So you, you always, you know, will hear the naysayers out there. You'll always have that negativity out there. Uh, I, I tend to turn off the negativity. And no matter what I'm doing, I don't care if you're making sailboats or you're a dive instructor, no matter what it is, you have to look towards the positive. And I think that that's, that's really important to do no matter what you do in life. Do you look at the glass half full, half empty? I like to look at it half full. So let's, let's just say that out front. And, and you also need to do another thing is don't believe everything that's out there. I feel you really need to do the research yourself. Now I get off this tangent, Eric. Is there anything else you want to comment on before we answer this question? Well, no. I mean, I, I hear a lot of people. Um, I talk to a lot of people who are looking at coming into the career in aviation. I talk to them every week who are looking at going the collegiate aviation route, and they come to me and they say, you know, I kind of I would like to do this, but there's just there's when you you Google airline pilot, the first ten results are uh, what a terrible job. They don't pay me. Um, you know, and and so it, it, there is a lot of negativity, um, but I think that we actually, as an industry, blow the negativity out of proportion due to the high cost of entry and the um, uh, and just the the profile of the job. But I mean, look at any industry. You think every doctor likes being a doctor, or you know that every lawyer likes being a lawyer, or um, I mean, go, retail sales. Go to the IT industry. We just heard from a guy who has a soul-draining job in, uh, you know, in his corporate IT department. I mean there's negativity in any in, in industry. It's just a reality. And if you think going through med school and getting paid nothing to be a, a, an intern and a resident is fun, it's not. But those people do that because they're driven and it's because they want to do it. It's not for everyone. Not everybody can be a doctor. Um, and there are people who probably – shouldn't be a pilot because they they don't enjoy what they're doing it's not for everyone um but at the same time for the people who want to do it who have a passion for it like i do like i know carl does um there's very little that could happen to me in aviation that would make me never want to do it again i, I mean i can't think of an example honestly to come up with you um you know and that doesn't mean that 
that you have to just you know lay down and take the you know take the the bad but you have to understand that um every industry has its bad in it um and and aviation is no different there's there are negative things that happen in aviation there are economic downturns whatever else but to be honest uh, when you look at the history of the airline system it's it's very you know, sign curve looking, you know, it, it's not a flat, you know, retail sales usually do pretty decent. They spike in December and, you know, the rest of the year, they're, they're pretty flat. The economic downturn, they come down a little bit, but they're pretty flat. The airline industry is very up and down and that's, uh, maybe that's part of the nature of the job. But, um, you know, I, I just encourage you when you're, when you're doing the research and you go to these forums, because it's hard not to, honestly, because there are so many of them and they are so well populated by people that they do tend to show up very high in search results online. Just be aware that everybody has a bias. I have a bias. So does Carl. Um, so when you're reading somebody else's thoughts, don't just take them at face value and just understand that, uh, this industry for people who are in it, who love it, who want to be in it, that they wouldn't want to do anything else. I wouldn't. And I know Carl wouldn't either. And, and you know, like you said with the bias, it, it a lot of that's based on your past experiences. You know, I grew up in an immigrant family. My father came to this country and he went to school. It was a very poor family. I mean, they lived on the porch, but he decided, friend, he was five years old. Here's somebody who couldn't speak English, came here, five years old, said, I want to be a doctor. And it's all he's ever wanted to do. His passion was being a doctor. And no matter all the negativity about being a physician that's happened in the past few years, et cetera, that, that you hear about on the Internet and all, he loved it, became, you know, my, my grandfather started a pizza place and a bar and was able to put him through school. And you know what? To this day, he's uh, going to be 80. He still wishes he was working as a doctor. He's too old to do it, has some physical issues, but he still wishes Every single day, he misses being a doctor because he loved his career so much, and that's somebody who's passionate. I mean, it didn't it didn't matter the money he made; he just wanted to be at work every day, and I, I think that's very true in, in Eric's life and in my life too. So that's that, that those are the type of people you want to listen to people that are truly passionate about their jobs, and don't listen to the naysayers, don't listen to all the negativity that's out there. But to answer your question, now that we 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 got off on Sorry a bit of a tangent, the tirade. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is a good conversation. I think it's important for people to know that. Uh, getting back to the audio that you can listen to, uh, I think Eric had some really great suggestions about the audio that I don't know about. So, Eric, could you share that with us? Sure. Um, University of North Dakota has a a video podcast called Aerocast. And they update it fairly regularly. It's a very, very good um, program. Um, and they cover different topics. Sometimes it's on rotorcraft operations. Sometimes it's on, um, you know, basic fundamental aerodynamics. But they take topical issues and they, they go through them. Um, animations, in-flight video. It's a really, really outstanding podcast. And it comes into different por- uh, formats. One for... Um, there's an HD version that you can watch on your uh, on your computer at uh, full HD resolution, and they also have a smaller one for uh, for the iPhone screen. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, it's one I like to watch actually. I, I, I enjoy it quite a lot. Um, if you like uh, humor in aviation, Rod Machado's Private Pilot book is available as a as an audio download, so you can actually listen um, to the uh, to Rod's subtle and not so subtle aviation humor if that's your thing. Um, uh, as far as uh, test preparation type stuff, if you're looking at keeping your head in, um, you know, the theory of aviation, 
both uh, Glime Publications and Aviation Supplies and Academics have online downloadable um, test prep type things that you can listen to that uh, come out in uh, MP3 format. So you can listen to those, um, stream them when you have the time. Um, so, I mean, and those are, are good resources also. Um, there's tons of other things out there. Um, the, the beautiful thing about um, the internet and aviation is that there are so many different people who are talking about aviation. The thing I recommend to most people, especially if you're going to pay for a resource, listen to the audio samples. Um, any 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 uh, you know valid um, instructional tool is going to have a you know a sample download that you can listen to it. If you can stay awake and engaged in it, then you'll learn from it. If it's something that's so boring that you doze off in, then it's not worth your money. Um, you'll get something that you can learn from, uh, that you can benefit from, and uh, I, I think those tools are, are extremely useful, especially for um, you know those long commutes or the car rides or when you're sitting around on a Saturday and it's it's nasty and you can't go outside and you're tired of watching the same movie over and over again. Why don't you just get involved in aviation? And and I mean that's that's not even talking about the initial training podcast, which um, I'll let Carl talk about a lot because he's much more into the podcasting circle than I am even. Um, but there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of great uh, paid resources out there. I'm not trying to endorse anything in sp- specifically, but I would encourage you to to look into these, check out the sample downloads, and see if you can find one that fits your learning style. And you know, Eric, if, you can send me some of those links, and I'll put them out on the website here so that they can you know, go check them out for themselves, see if they like. Those. Absolutely. So we'll put them at the bottom of the the show notes. But uh, you know, as far as training is concerned, there is a really cool podcast out there, and I think he's awesome. Uh, it's called the Finer Points Podcast, and I'll have a link to that. And he has some tidbits on flying. They're short. They're to the point, and they keep you thinking. Uh, there's uh, AOPA has a podcast out there. Uh, that they I love listening to. It's also also it's a video cast, so you actually get to to listen to that and and you understand the rules coming up and that type of thing. They also have AOPA flight training, uh, where they uh, talk about flight training also on the regular AOPA podcast. Uh, another person that has a, an interesting podcast is My Flight Coach. Uh, we interviewed them him, excuse me, uh, on episode eighteen. So you can go to aviationcurspodcast dot com slash eighteen and listen to to Chris Finley. He's awesome, really nice guy, very positive. Uh, his website's not out there, but his podcast is available on iTunes. I'll give you a link to that. And of course, the other one that that I like and and I enjoy being part of is the Stuck Mike Avcast, and it it is about uh, learning to fly, and it's about you know living the aviation lifestyle. Uh, and, and the people who love flying. But usually in every episode, we try to touch on one thing that, that's a, a teachable item. And we try to impart some knowledge through conversations. And the conversations are with people that are from all walks of the aviation life, from private pilot to commercial to instructor. So if you get a chance, check out that Stuck Mike Avcast. And the other thing you could do, type in Aviation Podcasts in Google, and you'll find a whole bunch of them. Or go to iTunes. Because they're free. I mean, it's awesome to get all this piped into your head and uh, and listen to all this great stuff that, that's free out there. It keeps you up with the industry. Uh, it also, the one thing I like, too, it gives proof, social proof of, of what we're talking about. Don't just listen to me. Go out and listen to these other podcasts. Get some other uh, information. Get some other opinions. Uh, I'd really, really appreciate you going out there and doing that. Because that's important for us, for our industry, is to listen to as many people as possible. So, again, thanks for that question. That was terrific, Tom. And we'll put those links out there for you. 
Let's see. The next uh, next question comes from Evan. Uh, Evan says, I am currently a senior in high school and looking around for colleges that are close to me for a major in aviation. Right now, I have my private pilot's license with 98.7 hours of total time. I think that's awesome that you put 98.7 and just round it up. It sounds like you really enjoy every minute of your flying. I found a school that I really like and will most likely go there to get my ratings up to my certified flight instructor with instruments, and possibly my multi-engine instructor license. The folks there tell me that once I complete my CFI rating, I can work on the flight line where the university trains. Since I'm going in with my private pilot already complete, I'll be about one year ahead of the folks that come in with no rating. This means that I'll get my instrument instructor rating before beginning my junior year. That's cool. My question is this. What is the best route to take out of college if I can get my eight, if I can't get my ATP to 1,000 hours? If I go into college with around 130, 135 hours, how many hours would you estimate that I would graduate being a part-time CFI junior and senior year? The next question I have is really, what is the best route to corporate flying? I really want to fly for a corporation someday and really want to know what the best route to nailing a job. The last question I have is a money question. My parents are generous enough to pay for my tuition, including room and board, for all four years plus half of my flying cost. This would put me at the end of the cost of about fifteen to $20,000. Is that much debt to come out of school being a pilot? I'm sure I'll be paying a lot of it having a summer job for the next three years plus working in college. What are your thoughts? Thanks so much. Well, first of all, the money thing, Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Usually, I fly with guys that have one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. So I think that's a pretty pretty low number. But congratulations! I have no on idea us. how lucky you are. <laughs> exactly. Kiss your parents. <laughs> Make them dinner. Let them go out on a date. Um, it, that's amazing. You are. That's aw- that is awesome. Person. That is awesome, Eric. You know when he talked about the. Um, Getting your hours in instructing in a university environment, I uh, don't have a lot of experience there. I know you have a lot more experience there. What do you think on that? Sure. Well, I mean, that's kind of the way the collegiate aviation system works. We we train pilots uh, up through basically all of their ratings. And because of that, we're able to indoctrinate in those people the specific program outcomes of of what we're trying to do with pilot training. Um, and so they make perfect employees to come back as flight instructors and then re-indoctrinate the next generation of pilots. Um, it's kind of a system that feeds itself. Um, and because of that, because there are always new students coming in, there's always a need to keep flight instructors to teach those students. So um, that's the way the, the, the model kind of works. It's very similar to the regional system where you come in and you're right seating and you're while you are qualified to do the job, you're basically doing a lot of on-the-job training because your captain is sort of mentoring you and showing you the ropes. Your captain moves up, you move up, and then you're going to do the same thing for the next person. So that's it's really the way our entire industry is set up. It's based on mentorship and and coaching along the career path. Um, in terms of what kind of hours you can expect, that completely depends on the program you go to. Um, if you're working part time or full time, um, you know, if you're still going to be in school, you're going to be instructing while you're in school. You're going to have to, you know, account for the fact that you're going to be doing between 12 and 18 hours of course credit every semester, in addition to trying to do flight training. So, you know, your hours are going to be limited while you're still taking campus courses, and they should be. Um, you have to understand what you're in college. You know, don't flunk out of school because you're trying to fly too much. Um, you've got to keep that in balance. Make sure that you're devoting yourself to your academic pursuit, 
um, as your first priority. Flight instruction at that time is a secondary priority. Make sure you keep those things in line. I see that a lot, that we get somebody to the position where they're ready to work as a flight instructor and build time, and they completely forget about school. Well, for most university or college programs, if you're not academically eligible as a student, you can't work as a flight instructor either. So just you know, keep that in mind. You can't completely throw away your education because they're going to take your job away from you too. Um, so, you know, in terms of how many hours you could expect to accumulate over that time, um, it, it's so variable. I mean, I would hate to to quote out a, a number that you could expect, but, you know, working in the collegiate aviation environment, between 10 and 20 hours a week are, are pretty common in terms of the number of hours you could log um, because you're there. I hate to put it this way, but you're with a captive audience. These aren't people who come in off the street because of a hobby or recreational purposes. These are career-minded people just like you are. So they're there on a regular basis. They're flying with you at regular times throughout the week. Um, so you can build uh, quite a bit of flight time that way. Um, it is a good system. I mean, the, the Honestly, the pay is not going to be that great. There is pay involved in it. Um, you're not you're not just a, a free laborer. Um, but you know the idea there is that you are building some time. They're you know helping you pay some living expenses. Um, I've talked to several university programs that consider their flight instructors, even when they're student workers, to be employees of the college, so they actually get access to benefits, uh, which is pretty insane. Um, some some university and college programs actually pay a salary rather than by hour. So you just need to research that. Talk to the uh, the college that you're uh, looking at going to and make sure you have a, a really good idea of how that process works. And the chief instructor for the college should be more than happy to sit down and explain to you um, how that process will work, what you can expect for pay, and what kind of time you should be expecting to gain every semester. And the, the other thing, too, that uh, is important is just, just keep researching and keep moving forward. You know, that's a lot of – for the, everybody else that's listening to this question is, uh, you know, what's good for one person is, is uh, may not be good for the other person. So I think that's important. But also uh, the question he had about becoming a corporate pilot, mm -hmm. there's – you know, there I actually have this really great uh, interview with a corporate pilot who – you used to do the recruiting for a uh, large operation, and his name's Chris Thren, and that's in episode 33. This guy has some great info on what he's looking for in a pilot, how the process of going through the interview. It talks a little bit about his life, and uh, he's actually become a friend of mine too, is Chris Thren, and and um, he it's episode 33. But but also. There's a lot of other episodes I have where we talk about corporate pilot, episode 32, 33, 37, 38, 40. There's a whole bunch out there. So just look up corporate pilot. But there, there's many different ways to go. Also, Tom Wachowski, who has been a, uh, a guest on the show and has done some Q&A with us, he has a lot of experience in, in the corporate field. And we talked with him about that. So there's a lot of info out there for you. So I encourage you just to go to aviationcareerspodcast.com and look up corporate flying. And I know that, uh, that Eric also has just a, a few comments about uh, moving towards corporate flying. You, you've done a little bit of that yourself. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, the main thing about corporate aviation, um, it, it really builds well off of the experiences you're going to gain as a flight instructor. Your best path into corporate aviation, I mean, unless you just happen to be in the right place at the right time and somebody says, man, I wish somebody would fly this citation, you know, which is rare. It happens. I've heard of it happening. Um, you just happen to be in the FBO at the right time and somebody walks in and says they need somebody and yeah, you have a job. Um, but your, your best path, really, uh, just like with flight instruction, is networking. Make sure you're – don't be a leech. 
where you're following people around being annoying because that's a good way to not get a corporate job, but to understand what type of operations go on at your local airport. Are there any businesses who operate aircraft out there? Um, get involved in it. Like, um, like the guy with the previous question, I want to know what the airlines are like. So I'm going to take a part-time job working as a ramp agent just to learn the ropes. I think it's such a great idea. Get into the business whatever way you can to to figure out how it goes. There are so many pilots working in the corp at the corporate level who would love to mentor you. That doesn't mean they're a guaranteed job for you, but they are they would love to sit down with you over lunch and explain to you, you know, the process to get there because unlike the airlines which have a fairly common um hiring pathway. I mean there's you know fairly common minimum time, fairly common experience that they're looking for. In the corporate world, it's all over the place. I mean there are corporate jobs flying Cessna 172s. There are corporate jobs flying Gulf streams across the ocean. So there's this huge range of jobs within corporate aviation. The best thing you can do is get to know the people who are doing that job and talk with them a little bit more about specifically what they do, the people that they know, and you begin to network. And, and move through that process. Um, I've had I've had my students in in, uh, in my college program who just happen to be out at the airport having lunch, and um, you know a, a pilot is is there that uh, you know that maybe I know or someone else knows, and they overhear them say something, and um, or they they see their their college shirt uh, when they're if they're wearing their their uh, uniform, and they ask you know what do you what do you do, and so they explain that they're pilot training, they're working on this, this certificate or that, and the pilot just says well. You know, I need somebody to write seat with me in in, uh, in the King Air to to Naples next week. Are you interested in doing it? You might not get paid, um, but if you're not doing anything anyway, it's, I mean, the whole point is it's about networking. It's about experience building, and you will find, um, in my experience anyway, within the corporate world, there are a lot of different jobs there, and there are a lot of pilots who do those different jobs who will be more than happy to sort of give you a little bit of mentorship and, and direction, which I definitely recommend. If you just try to dive into that ocean, you're going to get lost because there's just there's too many opportunities. Um, you you need some direction and you need some guidance. Great great advice and uh, and to get the guidance, there's so many people that want to help you. They really do, and it's uh, I know corporate guys absolutely love their job. So uh, I could hook you up with a lot of people. Just listen on this podcast and others. There's just some wonderful stuff out there about that. But uh, but thanks, Eric. That, that was that was pretty cool. Um, the next question, actually, I got I got a, a a listener mail, and this is going to be our last one, and then we're going to talk about why this podcast is is running long and some other interesting things that are coming up. Uh, but there's there's a point I want to make here, uh, and so uh, not all of our email is uh, very positive. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little about this, and I'm gonna leave this uh, reader anonymous. Uh, on another podcast, and I think on this podcast, I've mentioned a lot of the days off I've had, and uh, I had uh, I need to clarify a little bit about that. I don't want to get too too personal, but um, I had some people and more than one that have said that you know they that I misrepresented my days off and and uh, how how many days off I had and, and why I had those. So I'm gonna not with with getting too personal, but just let you inside the world of, of the airlines. Uh, just let me give you a couple things because integrity is very important to me. And I, I need to explain a few of these things to you. Number one, I got lucky. I got hired with an airline just during this whole hiring cycle. And I moved up extremely quickly, uh, in the airline and I was able to get off reserve very quickly. I also, since I was able to do that, I, um, <clears throat> the people I work for, we have paid time off, and there's a minimum amount of pay that I that I get per month, no matter what. 
And uh, some of these folks that work at other airlines, they don't, when they drop their trips, et cetera, they don't get paid. I can only, uh, I have to get paid a certain minimum per month. So I, and I always work that minimum per month because I'm working so hard on this podcast and all the other websites that I'm working on. So I try to just work those number of days. So when I said I had 22 days off last month and this month I have 24 days off, I'm still getting a minimum pay for that. And uh, to to just let you make you understand how the airlines different airlines have it, have it differently but some you can you can actually drop a trip or drop say a 4-day trip and you can drop that trip with pay or you can drop that trip without pay. And uh, for instance some airlines have sick time, some airlines had paid time off and some airlines will enable you to drop down to even nothing for the month. I know after uh, the last downturn I was able to take a lot of time off and only get paid for 20 to 40 hours. And the reason we did that, that was years ago. Uh, the reason we did that is so we wouldn't have to furlough as many pilots. So, yes, I still am getting paid for my minimum number of hours per month. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, so, you know, th this is it's important that you know that I'm not misrepresenting what I'm doing. I do get paid for a minimum amount. If I want to work extra, I can. I can I can work a whole bunch more hours, but I, I don't do that because I have this project here that's really important to me. It's bringing this information to you uh, about aviation careers. And the cool thing is my company is really behind me on this and, and the fact that I'm helping so many people uh, move forward in their careers. Uh, but th this also brings up one final point. I want to talk to Eric about this. Is uh, It's about integrity in your career. And, you know, I think that integrity is one of the most important aspects in your career and in your life. Well, let's talk about integrity in aviation. You know, integrity in aviation, to me, is being honest with yourself. It's being honest with your passengers and with your students. It's also important to me to adhere to certain moral standards and never waver from your values. And that's what integrity is to me. And you, you will always carry that forward in your job forever and in your aviation life forever. Because once you, you decide to waver from your values and and you actually decide to you know dismiss your integrity, uh, it, there's sometimes it will have disastrous results, sometimes not. But, but you always have to live with that in, inside yourself. So never, ever waver from your values. If someone says to you, hey, listen, can you take this airplane that's broken? Don't do it. You know, stick to your stick to your values and say no. I won't. I won't fly that broken airplane. Um, Eric, I know. I know you have a few comments about integrity. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a whole podcast for me. So let me let me keep let me keep those thoughts brief. Um, integrity is the only thing you really have that's yours. And I don't mean to get philosophical or ethereal with you, but integrity is the one thing that you can hang your hat on and say this is mine. Um, Everything else you have, um, you're you have borrowed. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's yours for now, but it's going to go away. Your integrity is the one thing you have that is going to go with you through your entire life, through your entire career. This business, as we've talked about, it doesn't matter if you're a pilot, mechanic, front office, dispatch. It doesn't matter where you are. If you are in the business of aviation, this is an extremely community-oriented business. It is everybody knows everybody else. And if you are somebody who compromises your integrity to get ahead or for whatever reason, I can guarantee you when you go on to the next job or three jobs later, that's going to follow you. Um, you're, you're never going to get away from compromising right and wrong um, to get ahead. And in this business, 
there is nothing frowned upon more than that attitude. I'm not saying that people don't do it all the time and get away with it because it happens. But if you're someone who who's doing that and gets recognized as someone who is in that position, saying you are blacklisted or blackballed or kicked out of the shrine, it's just <laughs> I, I can't be strong enough in, in warning you about maintaining social integrity with what you do in this in this profession. Not only would it hurt your career, um, I have lost close friends and even some family members due to just integrity of safety. Why is it so important that you get there right now? Wait two hours and you'd be alive. Um, it's not just your career. It's also your life and the lives of the other people who trust you to do the right thing. So compromising is not okay. It's not okay. Uh, you don't do it because it will follow you around forever. Um, and I, I mean, maybe, hopefully that's strong enough. <laughs> but like, I mean, I could fill a whole hour with examples of people I've known who have gone into this road, have spent tons of money to get here. You know, one compromise, um, either an accident, an incident, a career change, whatever. But it, this business is not forgiving of people who either make intentional mistakes or who compromise basic principles of right and wrong for their own personal purposes to get ahead. It's just, it's the, it's an unforgivable sin in aviation. It doesn't matter what side of the counter you work on. You absolutely cannot do it and expect to have a full and prosperous career in this business. And you know that what's really cool about integrity and sticking with your integrity is that it shows. And, uh, you know, I know those people in this industry that I would trust with my life and I know that they would never, uh, do something that would waver from their values and, and they are consistently, consistently looking towards those values and, and driving their lives based on those. And you know what? The great thing is if you stick to your values and you have integrity, you will move forward in this career and in life in general. So that's the real positive. Don't don't think you have to sacrifice anything. Don't think you have to sacrifice your values because your values are important and those that will shine through in the end. So, you know, there was times when I, I decided not to do something and I shouldn't do something and I didn't. And uh, I was asked to, to actually throw my values in the in the garbage and, and move forward. And, and you know what? It worked out for the best. Uh, later on, something actually happened and I wasn't involved in that FAA investigation due to what happened. So those are the times when you say to yourself, wow, this is great. But you know what? There's times when you won't have those examples. But you know what? You can look inside yourself and be comfortable in your skin and say, yes, you know, I was one that stuck to my values and had integrity. And I can hold my, my head up high and, and straight and say to myself, you know, I, I've for the rest of my life can live with myself. And that's the most important thing. And if you take anything from this podcast, it's important to live within with yourself, with your career, do what you're passionate about, but also do it with integrity and, and, and with those values in your life. And I think that's that's one of the takeaway messages here. Well, Eric, you know, this has been great. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about integrity, but we need to maybe have a whole podcast on that. And maybe we'll do a well, we'll do a negative podcast, you know, why you shouldn't become an airline pilot. Well, actually, we did that one already. But, uh, <laughs> but it's it's hard for, for, for us to do that here because we, we were so passionate about this. But uh, but if you do get a chance, check out the, the one podcast we did about reasons why you shouldn't become an airline pilot. Uh, and one of them actually was 
was about the pay, et cetera. But, uh, you know, again, that's integrity, you know, that, that you, would you sacrifice your career just for, uh, you know, the dollars of a, of a captain that's out there. So anyway, right. um, Eric, I appreciate your coming here. This, podcast went a little bit longer but it's for a reason eric you know and, and it, it is and and i'm going to share that with you and um actually, i was hoping i wasn't going to have to remind well, you well no that no have been popular. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, speaking of integrity and speaking of life <laughs> this uh, i'm having a big change in my life uh coming up here i'm actually uh next time we put out a podcast isn't going to be for a few weeks and the reason being is that i'm getting married and yay. I, yay, I'm getting married actually to somebody who doesn't have an interest in aviation and an interest in, uh, in my job, other than the fact that her father was a test pilot for the Republic Corporation, the Grumman Corporation, wow. and was a test pilot for the CB and actually owned a Grumman Goose and, uh, you know, has flown over the world and was in the Air Force and, uh, and, and was one of the early, early flyers on, in Long Island and is mentioned in the Cradle of Aviation Museum. Doesn't have an interest in aviation, but she does support me, and I think that's important. And if you are looking at somebody in your family who's who's not very supportive of of your career and your career goals, maybe it's because you haven't you know communicated that well. I don't expect uh, you know my spouse to be to to be very into aviation, nowhere near as much as, as I am. I don't expect most people to, to live aviation like I do on a daily basis. But what's really cool is, is she supports my passion uh, through doing silly things. I mean, the other day, I'll have to, gosh, I got to take a picture of this. She she bought me, <laughs> it bought me a hanger for my belts. And it's actually, it's an airplane. It looks like a B-52. And you know where the engine pylons are is actually hooks for your belts to hang on. So I'll have to, I'll put Very a little. Very clever. Yeah. yeah and, and just cool things like that. Uh, her parents buy me stuff that, uh, just things that are decorative around the house. When I say, hey, do you want to go on the airplane, go for a ride? Nah, not interested. So, <laughs> so I'm I know. Sure she doesn't mind the, uh, the non-revs though. <laughs> well, you know, she said she wants to buy the t-shirt, you know, marry me and fly for free. Right. And, and start wearing that because that is one of the perks to getting married to it to somebody who works for the airlines is you can fly around the world for free and you know that's actually one of the things that's really cool about this job we're looking at maybe taking a year off or her taking a year off or uh you know if we can afford to do it just to, to just go bouncing around with me into all these neat destinations hang out in aruba for a day go down to trinidad for the day go to savannah go out to las vegas and go up to anchorage those kind of just on overnights and get paid to do it i mean that that's pretty cool and have the company pay for the hotel rooms so that that's going to be awesome but that's the reason it's going to be a little bit longer between podcasts and that's why i want to make this run a little longer Keep bringing your questions, though. Of course, I'll have my laptop. Um, I, I've I've been told that I have to make sure I concentrate on the wedding and getting that all completed. As a matter of fact, we're about to go pick out the wedding cake, and uh, you know there are times in life when uh, there are certain things that aren't as important as your career, and that's the the big important takeaway from this: your family, your faith. That that's more important than than uh, actually this career here. So, uh, but, and if you, know. you guys do actually get any email replies from Carl during wedding week or honeymoon week. <laughs> Um, I will give you. I will give you his new wife's email address. No. But you can forward that to her, so she's aware that he's not actually giving her the time she deserves. <laughs> and, and Eric knows when I'm getting married too, so so he'll he'll call me out on this one too. I will. I will. You know how hard that's going to be to not do anything aviation related for a weekend. I mean, yeah, I, I can't. I can't me. take. I can take a vacation from work. I can't take a vacation from aviation. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But even if I'm not quote unquote at work. 
it's always on my mind because <laughs> it's something that I am so passionate about. But like you said, you know, when I go home in the afternoon, work stops and I'm there for my family. Um, now, when my family goes to bed, <laughs> I'm probably <laughs> going to be back into aviation in some way because that's just the way that I am. That's, but it's so important to have that division between, I, yes, I love this and it's, it's a thing that I love. But remember that you are in love with with these people, and these people are the ones who are going to carry you through the good times and the bad times, who are there to be your foundation, your structure. Um, my wife happens to be a pilot, and we share a love of aviation. She actually gets on to me when I don't fly enough, in her opinion, um, mm. which is nice. It's nice That's to cool. be told that it's it, – it's, Eric, it's time for you to go to the airport. You need to get out of the house, um, get out there, and go fly because you're driving me nuts. Um so she understands the addiction and she understands the love and the and the amount of time it takes. But she also rightly expects that when it's family time, it's family time. And it's important to keep that distinction, not to get off the subject of your happy news. But while we're talking about career advice and aviation, it will consume you. It's that kind of job. So make sure that you do have that, you know, that uh, healthy division between your career that you are passionate about, that you love and the people who you are in love with in your life. Yeah, you have to keep that integrity in your in your family life, and and that's important too. There's a there, and there's times when you won't even talk about airplanes, and you and uh, and you'll, that'll be fine. There's many other interests in life. There's there's hobbies out there. I mean, I I have certain hobbies. I love lighthouses. I mean, that's something that I like to do, and it's non aviation related. And I love boating, and uh, you know, but the airplane gets me there, so that I can actually see those lighthouses all over the country. So that's that's really really cool. You know, Eric, it, it <laughs> this is really neat that we got to end on that topic there. Uh, as far as family, I'd love to hear from people that have a spouse, significant other that uh, is is not involved in aviation, has no interest, and and see what hear what their challenges were because they all everybody has challenges. Just to be supportive of the people that listen here that do have a, a spouse that has no interest. I mean, they they're they're happy maybe that that you have this passion in life. But it's not their passion, and uh, and and sometimes you can commingle the two every so often, and and that's that's a really cool thing. The other day I got to go to an airport, and there was a restaurant at the airport, and we ate dinner there, and that was a lot of fun. I got to see airplanes, and and we got a good dinner. So you can combine those things in in your in your with your spouse or your significant other, even if they're not in aviation. But uh, and this is relationship advice one hundred and one. Yes, it is from from the pilots. From the pilots, which which we shouldn't be giving advice because <laughs> no, we, we should, yeah, we should be getting getting advice. <laughs> exactly. <not> giving advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, I appreciate you coming here today. There's a couple ways that uh, they can get in touch with you that I forgot to mention on the last episode. So, Eric, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. Well, if you're interested in uh, you know the collegiate aviation path, um, you're more than welcome to uh, come to. Uh, um, Polk, P-O-L-K dot E-D-U slash aerospace and look at the aerospace program that my college uh, offers. Um, all of my contact information is available there, but you can email me at my first initial E and then my last name Crump, C-R-U-M-P at Polk dot E-D-U. And you can also find me on the Twitter and we can have a nice uh, Twitter conversation. You can find me at, at symbol C-E-R-I-C-G-O. 
G-O. And I would love to have a conversation with you in any media that you choose. Um, as you can tell from this podcast, um, I can't really stop talking about aviation. So if you have <laughs> aviation questions or just want to have a chat, look me up. I'm more than happy to talk with you. And folks, if you if you got some value out of this and you want to hear Eric back on this, I'd appreciate you writing in and saying, hey, I want to hear Eric back on for another Q&A session. Cause, I would appreciate you saying that, too. Yeah, and so would because Eric. Because I'm a pilot. My ego does need to be inflated every <laughs> once in a while. Because I think Eric brings a lot to this program, and I, I think Eric has, has a unique perspective, and uh, especially from the collegiate side. I think that's, that's been awesome. But he's done a lot in aviation, and uh, he's a big supporter of aviation in all aspects and does a, does a bang-up job over there at Sun and Fun, too, and, and helping volunteer, etc. Uh, if you want to contact us, of course, you go to aviationgearspodcast.com and click on the contact page. Also, if you like the podcast, I'd appreciate you going out there and taking a look at our sponsors. They're in the right-hand column there and uh, visiting those websites. The uh, Also, the other thing I wanted to mention here is I've talked about some scholarships and what we're coming up with. I'm actually putting out we, – we have – by the way, we have hundreds of scholarships and lists of those. And what I've been doing is researching every single scholarship that I have individually, and I'm starting to put them out on our scholarships page. And then eventually we're going to put them into a database, which is searchable. Uh, to, to find that page, of course, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. I've also set up another page called aviationscholarshipguide.com. You know, that's just redirecting to the scholarships page for now. Uh, and also don't forget up to sign up for the newsletter because I'm going to come out with, whenever I come out with new scholarships on there, uh, I'll actually notify you of that. What we're doing is we're, we're putting this together, and the first 50 are going to be free. The first 10 for anybody to look at, the next 50 are for the people that register on our website. And then after that, we're going to be having this huge directory, and I've actually had to hire somebody uh, to put that together for me, and I'm doing a lot of the work myself also. Uh, and what we're doing is we're going through each scholarship and and making sure that everything is correct in the applications and also everything is, the descriptions are correct. And there's a lot of footwork involved because a lot of these scholarships are wonderful. Uh, the people that put them together, uh, they don't have time to administer them sometimes. And, and a lot of times the, the information you get on the Internet is not correct. So what we do, we do the footwork for you. We go through each scholarship consistently and we look up their, their due dates. And if anything's changed, we put that out there for you. Also give you links out uh, out to all the different applications out there for the scholarship so again look at that uh, page for now there's not much out there right now there's only we will only put on there the things that we've verified uh, as far as the scholarships are concerned so this is going to be a long process but uh, hang in there uh, and there's a lot of other internet websites out there that will give you links to those websites and and uh, what, we're, what we're doing is a little a lot more than that we're actually verifying every single scholarship and it takes a few hours on each scholarship to do that um, also, I, I appreciate your, your coming to this, this episode and talking, and, and Eric coming here to talk about the integrity issues and all the other questions. And just remember, you know, the most important thing is, is to keep your integrity in life. Keep your integrity in your flying career moving forward. Because you know what? I, I know that you, you're listening to this. I know you have passion for aviation. I know you have questions about aviation. But look into yourself and make sure that, that you never waver from your values and also that you do what, what it is you want to do and what's best for your life. And you design the aviation career that you want in life. 
And we definitely will be talking to you again after I get married. It's going to be a few weeks from now. If you have questions, keep them coming in. I'll be answering them. I'll also be forwarding them to, to Eric So uh, during during this whole process, and he'll, he'll help me answer some of those questions. Eric, again, thanks for being here. And uh, for you, those listening right now, I appreciate you bringing me into your lives. And uh, next time I'll talk to you, I'll be a married man. So uh, I, I hope to t- uh, see you again in the next episode. It's going to be a few more weeks. But again, fly safe. Keep that integrity in your aviation career. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.